Good morning, men. How are you? I cut, that kind of sucked. Let's start over. Good morning, men. How are you? Oh, that's great. I am so glad to be here. I actually double booked. I'm flying out of the country early, early in the morning. And Randy and I worked it out where I could be with you. I, I just almost threw up when I realized I double booked myself. It is so good. This is one of the premier things I get to do every year. And before I begin, I, on my drive down, I drive, drove down alone. Fire team leaders, listen to what I'm about to say. I think God spoke specifically to me about six different groups of men in this place. And fellas, there is power of taking something out of the darkness and bringing it into the light. Do you understand? I was sexually molested by a homosexual man when I was about 10. Open Pandora's box of sexual sin in my life. When I was about 20, about 32, I took it out of the hiding. I confessed to some men and I was set free that day. Isn't that awesome? So listen closely. I was driving along just listening to the Lord. And, and I said, there's going to be, I think he said, there's going to be one or two, three men. Your dad was like a first responder. I saw a fireman or, or perhaps a prison guard or a policeman, maybe in the military. And in his workplace, your dad was like a hero. So highly respected. But his instability, his anger and depressions, when he was in your home, occasionally he would erupt into violence. It's left a scar inside of you. Take it out of the dark this week, man. Jesus Christ is going to heal you. There are some other men. Your story is like my story. It was an older man or older guy. He did sexual things to you when you were a young boy, and he opened for you Pandora's box of unholy sexual activity. There's two or three of you men in this room who have my story. Take it out of the dark and bring it to the light, and Jesus will set you free. There was a third man, maybe two of you, I felt. It wasn't an older man. It was an older girl or an older woman when you were a young boy. And boy, it thrilled your soul that Susie wanted to do it with you, and you were only 13. The problem is when you did it with Susie, you opened up something that you haven't been able to stop yet. Bring it out of the darkness into the light, man, and Jesus will set you free. I felt like you told me there were three men who were in an affair. And even this week, before you came here, you had sex with your non-wife partner. Men, you're killing your wife. You're wounding your children. And there's deliverance in Jesus Christ. I've been not free and I've been free. You know what? Free is a little better than not free. In fact, it's a whole lot better. Take it out of the dark. Bring it into the light. I saw a man. It looked like you were sitting at your kitchen table. And there's all these pieces of paper. And I saw you take your hair and... And I felt like the Lord said, these are his bills, and he's coming unglued. Some of it was bad things that happened. Some of it was just stupid decisions. Jesus sets the captive free. 
There are solutions for you if that's you. Bring it out of the dark into the light. Let your brothers fight this battle with you. Lastly, the Lord spoke to me about some of you fire team leaders and leaders of this whole deal. Some of you have been wondering, where is his presence? What's wrong with me? My prayers aren't like they used to. I don't sense him. It's like he's taking his hand off of me. I opened the Bible and it's like Jesus certainly isn't speaking out of this book. He's like on Mars playing golf with Moses or something right now. Where are you? Here's what the Lord told me to tell you. The thing you're going through right now is the answer to your prayer for more. He's withdrawn the little bit of his presence that you were experiencing, and he's playing holy hide-and-seek with you. And when I played hide-and-seek with my kids, I never hid in such a way that they wouldn't find me. I hid in such a way that they would pursue their papa and find him, and it would end in an embrace. Men, he's, he's testing your heart. Do you just want the feeling you get in my presence, or do you want me? Chase him, and you'll find him. Open to session number two. Where is Bill, who started this whole thing yesterday? Excuse me, someone's calling me. I shouldn't answer that, huh? Let me start my timer. I do have the ability to speak for 16 hours at a time. <laughs> Remember when Paul preached and the boy, he preached so long at night, they were like on the third floor. The boy fell asleep, fell out of the window and died. Paul says, coffee break. He runs down, raises the boy from the dead and said, okay, let's come back. Preaches the rest of the night. Paul, he showed us two spiritual gifts. Preaching so long, he can kill you. I have that spiritual gift. So my wife says, you always set your timer. I have actually prayed for some people to be raised from the dead. I'm not too good on that one. So I'm not going to use the first one on you. Father, I pray in the next 30 minutes that there would be more than information given to every man in this room, including myself. I pray you would go beyond the the cerebral level into our deeper parts where we really live from. That you would speak to us, that you would give us tools to win the battle. I pray above all, you would give us a revelation of the Lord Jesus, our champion. That in fact, we don't have to win the battle. The battle has already been fought and it has already been won. Speak to every man in these next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill, as you were sharing last night, my heart was just leaping like a daggum. I got a new sheep-a-doodle pup. He's half crazy and half demon-possessed, but he is cool. And boy, when he's out back and we're playing ball, he just leaps around like the cutest little. Then he tears something up in the house. I want to kill him. My heart was, was being my little sheep doodle pup last night. Hearing your story and the power of Jesus, the raw power of the Son of God to take a broken thing and make it right. Is that not awesome? But my story is not like Bill's story. 
When I was 15, I opened this book and read one story about Jesus forgiving a woman caught in the midst of adultery. I didn't know anything about him. Closed the book. It was about two weeks before my 15th birthday. Closed the book. Didn't know how to pray. Didn't know about confessing sin. Didn't know squat. I had this thought, Jesus is alive and I want to know him. The next morning, pornography was broken. I masturbated every night. It was broken. Blah, 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 blah. I began to fill my heart with this book, with his presence. So my story is real different from Bill's story, but it has the same ending, doesn't it? No matter where you start, it's always the same ending. And in this journey, I've been, I've been walking with him for 44 years. In this journey, there are two foundational stones of truth. You got to have one foot on one of them and the other foot on the other. If you ever lose sight of either truth, you are not going to win the battle. Here is truth number one. Truth number one is not you have an enemy. Truth number one is you have a friend. He is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. He is a friend who has fought every battle, every man in the history of creation has fought, and he has won. He is a friend who's been tempted. He has felt the pull of lust and greed and lying and cheating. He's, the Bible says he was tempted in every way that I have felt temptation, and he never said yes. He has won. He is a friend who will walk beside me. He is a friend who is there in my greatest need. He is a friend that in the time of my greatest battle, men, and I may not have fought Bill's battles, but I have fought some monster battles, and I still am. He is there, and he is the champion. Foundation stone number one is not you have an enemy. If you start from there, you will not win. The first place that right foot's got to stand on is, I have a friend. Anybody tell me what his name is? Jesus. His name is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's known as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Desire of the Nations, the fairest of 10,000. But there's a second truth. And if I don't have my other foot firmly planted on this truth, if I lose sight of this and walk through my day, you have an enemy. He is cunning. The Bible speaks of the schemes of the evil one. That word scheme means well thought out strategic plan to win the battle. He's not haphazard in his assaults on me or you. He, he, he sends his minions to scout you out and look at your strengths and your weaknesses. And in the hellish regions, there are plans specifically designed for you and for me. He hates me with a passion. He hates our father even more. And he has a name. He's called Satan, which means the adversary, the devil. He's called the accuser of the brethren. 
the tempter, the serpent of old. You have an enemy. I see so many men who come to Jesus and they begin to discover Jesus as their Savior and King and, and that he's a friend and they begin to stand. But they never catch sight that they have an enemy. And when I lose sight of that, I'm like little Billy, the year and a half old buck who sees Josh's corn feeder over there turns to Millie and says, dear God, we hit the bonanza. And every morning and every evening, he's standing under Josh's corn feeder, eating, and he has no idea that on November 14th, Josh is up in that deer blind, and he has his scope, and, and, and little Billy the Buck is just going, all right, right here, and could you put some more salt on my corn, please? When I lose sight that I have an enemy, I'm like Billy the stupid buck who is standing under the deer feeder, raising his little said, right here, big boy, and pass the gravy, please. I can't lose sight of it, man. I can't. There are two foundation stones I've got to walk with. I have a friend, and he's the champion. I have an enemy, and he's pretty daggum good at his job. Defeat and bondage and brokenness is not my destiny and is not yours. Your friend is greater. Your friend has won. Your friend is powerful. In fact, he's the champion of the universe. One of the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the, the government of God will rest on his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and I love this next one, mighty God. Everybody say it with me, mighty God. You know what that means in the Hebrew? El Gabor. It means the champion warrior who has never been touched. Your friend is El Gabor. But man, you have an enemy. Listen to the text of Scripture and Jer uh, Jeffrey. Uh, I kind of got intimidated. Can Jeffrey preach or what? He can preach the wallpaper off the wall. And when Tut said at the end, kind of introducing this morning topic, he says, you have an enemy and damn, you're, you're fighting the wrong person. I hear that three times a week in my kitchen with my wife. <laughs> Honey, you got an enemy, but you're fighting the damn wrong person. I'm your cook. <laughs> you better quit fighting me. <laughs> Listen to the text of 1 Peter. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling about. He's on the prowl like a roaring lion. Why does it say a roaring lion? Because the way the lion catches its prey. I, I work all across Africa. I have friends who've been face-to-face -face with lions. And they say what he does is he has a roar unlike any other beast. And his roar paralyzes. And in the moment of paralysis, he's on you. He's prowling around like a roaring lion 
Listen to what the text of this great old spiritual Papa Peter said. He's seeking anyone he might catch and devour. He's seeking. He's looking for you and for me. And it says he wants to devour us. But resist him. Be firm in your faith. As I, as I was putting these little thoughts for this morning's talk together, I thought about King David. You know, David has an incredible story. He really comes onto this scene when he brings his, his uh, brothers who's at the battle with Saul with the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And there's the giant Goliath, 10 foot tall, a monster of a human. Next thing you know, this 15-year-old boy's got a rock and he throws it and kills him. Takes the giant sword and cuts his head off. Man, Goliath was never David's enemy. That's not the way your enemy is. Saul falls in love with the boy. In fact, he had worked for Saul because Saul had a demonic spirit that would torment him. And David would sing and play his harp in Saul's house. Well, after the battle with Goliath, the women of Israel made up a song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the Bible says Saul gets really jealous. But he gives him his daughter to marry. So he's the son-in-law of the king. Lives next door to Saul's house. And one day David's playing a harp. Saul takes his spear and chunks it. It's like... Jonathan, his best friend, who's Saul's son, says, my dad's out to kill you. And David's like, no, he's not. He's just having a bad day. I think it's his hemorrhoids acting up again. You know how he is when those hemorrhoids act up. Two weeks later, he's playing the harp. Saul looks at him and thinks, he's trying to kill me. He throws another spear at him. The next thing he knows, he has a plot to come to his daughter's house, Michael, where David lives. They're married. And capture him in the night. And Michael says, you don't understand. My father is your enemy. That's the kind of enemy you have. He's close to you. He's always lurking in the background. It's not like Goliath out in some field. He comes in the middle of the night to your home, seeking whom he may devour. And what's his goal? I love John 10.10, one of those simple verses. As a boy, I learned. The thief comes to. Anybody help me with this? Still kill and destroy. These are, this is Jesus talking. But your friend has come to give you life to the max. He wants to steal your freedom, man. He wants to steal your thought life. He wants to steal your willpower through fleshly indulgences. He wants to steal your courage through his right-hand man, the spirit of fear. Have you ever lived in America where there is so much fear? There is fear of not having the COVID vaccine. And then there's fear that if you take the vaccine, you got the mark of the beast. Come on. It's a stinking shot. Put it in perspective. 
He wants to steal your wife's hopes and dreams because she has a broken, brutal husband. He wants to steal your children's innocence and their futures because they have a dad who's not really there even when he is. And and Jeffrey spoke about the greater story, the larger story. Men, this isn't just about being victorious for our own lives. Your friend doesn't just want you free. He wants you to stand beside him in the kingdom battle. Being a part, a tool, a vessel in his hand. Living for eternal purposes in this greater story. He wants to steal your calling. You said, but he couldn't use me. Did you not hear Bill's story last night? He's using Bill. If he can use me, an old football coach, and Bill, he can use anybody. He even spoke through an ass. Excuse me, a donkey. And my wife says, Randy, you have two things in common in the Bible. He still speaks through asses today. And uh, he doesn't just want to steal men. He wants to kill. The greatest thing he wants to kill is the fire in your heart for Jesus Christ. He wants to kill the fire in your soul for your wife with little Susie who works down the hall from you. He wants to kill the, 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 the example of a man you can be in a home. And your kids say, I want to be like that. Because here's the truth, men. Your children will love your mother, but they will live like their father. It is a principle of creation. Children follow their dad, but they honor and love their mom. And he wants to destroy He wants to destroy your future, your destiny, your children, your wife's hopes and dreams, your wife's joy. He's like a prowling lion seeking whom he might devour. I'll never forget my friend Landon. My friend Landon grew up without a dad. Her her mom married many times, and none of these men were really a a father to him while they were in the home. And his mom worked two day, two jobs, and he raised himself, had all kinds of destruction and sin, but he found Jesus along the way, had a call to the ministry, pastored a church. I'll never forget, he got depressed and clicked on that internet site and started looking at Millie and Susie and Magda and Mary with no clothes on. The next step is he hired a prostitute. Crazy thing we found out later, as soon as he started seeing a prostitute, his wife had an affair. Here's the secret, men. We don't live in a vacuum. The spirit we carry envelops our home. He carried darkness in. Men are a doorway. Between heaven and earth, fellas. Do you understand? They're no longer married today. Wish I could tell you the rest of the story. What are his tactics? His first tactic is temptation. 
Remember the story of Adam and Eve? One morning they're in the garden and, and Adam says, okay, I'm going to go pull weeds over by the tree of life. You do it over by the tree of knowledge of good and evil and I'll meet you for lunch, baby. Dang, you're hot. Is our father not good? Woo. She's over by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just, you know, pulling the weeds around. And this cute little handsome snake slithers in. Eve, how are you? Billy, how are you? I'd send you a. And he's, he, the first question, has God said you can't eat from any of these awesome trees? The devil will always make God seem mean. And harsher than any command he's ever given us, man. Has God really said you can't enjoy any of this? That is one of his greatest tactics to convince us our father's withholding the glories of this world. Listen to Eve. She, oh, no, no. We can eat the apples, the oranges, the pomegranates. We just can't eat from this tree or even touch it. Already she's confused. God never said you couldn't touch it. They could have played baseball with it. They could have played golf with it. They just couldn't eat it. Because what I feed upon determines what comes out of my life. He said, if, if we do, we'll die. Listen to the next part of the lie. You won't die. This is a part of your enemy's tactic. He wants you... To be convinced you can eat of that darkness and have no consequences. Man, there's always consequences. Even when Father forgives me, there's still consequences. Even when my wife forgives me, there's consequences. Listen to what he says next. For God knows when you eat of this tree, you'll be just like him knowing good from evil. He makes God out to be the villain who's withholding the good things of life. Isn't that the root of every temptation? If you have sex with Susan, who's not your wife, it's going to be better. You're going to be happier. If you look at that on the... If you lie about this money, if you... Man, you will die. And it's not just temptation, it's accusation. How many of you fight with the accuser of the brethren all the time? Even when you're not sinning this cloud of guilt, like something is wrong with you, Scott. How many of you feel like something's wrong with you between you and God almost all the time and you ain't done nothing? He comes and he puts over your life two thoughts. Number one, you ain't good enough and he's mad. And number two, he's mad, so you better hide. And instead of running to our friend, we end up hiding from our friend. Is this making sense, man? I've discovered in my journey, I don't just have one enemy, Randy. I got two. Let me backtrack to the story of David really quickly. David's been on the throne for 20 years. He's rocking it as king. 
He had already screwed up literally with Bathsheba, killed one of his best friends, Bathsheba's husband. God forgave him, but all hell broke loose with consequences. The very sin he committed broke out in his own family and destroyed his family, tore the kingdom apart. He had this boy named Absalom, the handsomest lad in the land. And for 10 years, the boy plotted in his own house the death of his father and the stealing of the kingdom. And people would come and say, Absalom is a snake. Oh, he's such a good boy. Saul never had a chance to take him down once he recognized his enemy. But the enemy within almost got his dad. Because his dad never recognized there was the enemy right inside his own household. You see, you don't have just an enemy without me. You have an enemy within. The apostle Paul calls it the flesh. Every one of us is born with this nature that craves what the enemy without offers. Dad gummit, they're partners in the deal. Can anybody tell me what does the Bible say our flesh was made out of? Well, actually, the word is dust. He took the dust of the ground and he formed our flesh. When Satan, when our father is cursing the serpent, do you know what the last curse he said is? And you will eat the dust of this earth. The enemy feeds upon our flesh, man. Our flesh. There's something in me that craves wanting to look at Susie and undress her. You too? There's something in me in that moment where I can tell the truth or lie. There's something in me that just wants to not tell the... That wants to cheat the government with my taxes. That I'm just being honest, boys. And so there's an enemy within and there's an enemy without. They work in tandem. And every time I feed the enemy within, it opens a door for the enemy without. Dang, this is a hope-filled message, isn't it? Let's all take out razor blades, just commit suicide and go to heaven right now in Jesus' name. So what's the final ver verdict? Is this a battle I cannot win? Are these enemies just too powerful? The answer is yes. It is a battle that you cannot win. And the answer is no. It is a battle that has already been won. Because the, great, the greatest truth is not that I have a couple of enemies. The foundational truth of the kingdom of God is I have a friend. 2,000 years ago, when our enemy nailed him to the cross, all of the hellish legions were there saying, we've won. And the Bible says he was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. And at noon, it says the sky over that whole part of the world grew dark. What was it? It was every hellish demon fiend. We're coming to watch hell's ultimate triumph. But it was more than that. It was the angelic host 
gathering all the sins of men like you and me. But according to the Bible, they didn't just gather my sin and your sin, but somehow, I don't know how it happened, they took that part of me and that part of you called the flesh and they placed it all upon Jesus. And at three in the afternoon, he looks into heaven and he says, it is finished! That phrase means two things. First, he looked up into the eyes of his father. The first thing it means is, I've paid for them. You can forgive them now, Papa. And I've purchased them. They don't belong to him anymore. They now belong to you. I've been bought with a price, men. I've left one kingdom and I'm in another kingdom and the rules have changed. But that phrase, it is finished, was used one other way in Jesus' world. It was used by the gladiator in the arena. In that last moment, when they had their enemy, they would take their sword and they would look to the crowd. And are you, are you married? Uh, he's not married, it's okay. And the gladiator would look at the crowd with his enemy by their throat and they would thrust it and he would shout, it is finished! It was more than buying me and you. He took hell by the throat according to the scriptures. And just when the devil thought he had him, the son of God, our friend, turns the tide. He makes the thrust and cries, I've won, you're defeated, you can't have them anymore. So what do you have to do? I love this little text of scripture, Revelations 12, verse 11. And it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. There are three weapons in my arsenal. The blood of the lamb. What does that mean? It's simple. I'm forgiven. I'm no longer his. I'm his. And he is champion. You can't fight the battle in your own strength. It's a battle of trust in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. And somehow the power of that moment reverberates in my soul with strength when I'm tempted, when I'm accused. It says the word of their testimony. What is he talking about? The word of God in my mouth is the sword. You remember when Jesus faced our enemy in the wilderness? How did he fight? It is written. It is written. It is written. I love Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart, and now I don't have to sin against you. Oh. 
Kirby, you don't know how many thousands of times I said, I, 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 I feel the pull of darkness. Put the power out of my mouth of, it is written. It is written. And I love that last phrase. And they love not their lives unto death. What is it talking about? Surrender. Man, in this kingdom world, there is no victory without surrender to the Son of God. Surrender places you in the middle of your friend's care. And so many of the battles that you would have to face, he fights so many of these battles that you would never even notice half of them are being fought. Do not leave this camp without total surrender to Jesus Christ. It is the place of victory. My watch is telling me to stop, and I'm calling it a demonic liar. <laughs> Let me close with a story, man. Two truths. This guy's looking at his timer. I saw it go off a while ago, and I thought, you're deceived by the devil, too. <laughs> the devil's at work, but Jesus is champion, fellas. Look at me. There's two truths. Truth number two I have to live with. Now, now, watch what I'm about to say. This is not the truth that's in the front of my mind, but it's always in the back. I have an enemy. But the truth that stays in the front of my mind is, I have a friend. Do you understand? But i got to stand and walk every day with both. A few years ago, I was walking with one of my closest friends in the world through a giant nature reserve in the Netherlands. There are wolves there and foxes and longhorn cattle from around the world. Everything's wild. So we're walking down this path, me and Renus Van Kuehl in the Netherlands. And I says, I'm looking at all these monster beasts. Are any of these things dangerous? Only one. And he points over there to a wild Polish stallion, white as the snow, with a mare and a colt. He said, those things are the enemy of everything. And occasionally a man, and he said, it's only a man that they attack. He said, occasionally a man will be walking through. One of those stallions will look up and think you're invading his territory. I said, what do you do? He says, you stand. As soon as he said the word stand, home horse 300 yards off goes, look, there's Randy Boyd. I'll bash his head in. He sprints at me with his colt and his mare behind him. He gets right here. He's a monster. He's a beast. And he's... It goes on for two minutes. And my friend is standing behind me. And I keep hearing these words. Stand. Randy, stand. About a minute in, the little colt who's behind his daddy, he runs out, looks at his daddy, touches me with his nose, and runs back behind him. <laughs> I actually stepped up into the face of that horse with my friend just behind me saying, stand. That horse backed up, shook his head, and trotted off. I said, what just happened? 
He said, when you did not back up, he realized you had greater power and he surrendered his territory to you. Men, you have a friend who's going to walk through the journey of this life. And when the stallion from hell assaults you through temptation or accusation or you're going to hear this voice right behind you saying, don't back up. Stand. Because Jesus is the champion. Father, I thank you for this time I've had with this man. I wish I could have hours with him. But these two foundational truths, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I lodge them into their souls. Plant them like a seed that will become mature. I declare the spirit of surrender over this boot camp like never before. Not making promises, just surrender. We've been bought with a price. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.